you've got chicken, spinach, you know, you've got your main things, the, the six main things that are going to make up this dish. I'm cumin, or I'm, I'm paprika. You know, it's like, you don't, you, nobody wants a paprika dish, but it adds a nice little thing yeah. at the end. You go, oh, that, that sets it apart. There's a little something we can do with that. listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm your co-host, AJ Meyer. And I'm your other co-host, Trevor Algott. And coming up in episode 237, AJ sits down for the first part of his interview with that guy, prolific character actor Robert Clendenin. In part one, they talk about Robert's transition from engineer to actor, his early character work as a child with a box of hats and how he established himself as the oddball character actor that has allowed him to work consistently for the last 25 years. That, plus a lot of funny stories along the way, all coming up in episode 237. Support for this episode of Inside Acting comes from VO2GoGo.com the award-winning voiceover training system, and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit vo2gogo.com slash start for a free getting started in voiceover online class that'll help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's vo, the number two, gogo.com slash start. Hello, my friend. Hello, hello. First of all, can I just give you like mad kudos, like virtual podcast high five for an astoundingly awesome uh, interview with Rebecca Metz last episode? I listened to it twice. I was like, I was in love with everything about it. (laughs) Awesome, man. Yeah. Well, uh, virtual high five back, first of all. Don't want (laughs) to leave you hanging. Don't want to leave you virtually hanging. It was really nice to be able to unpack it after having had the conversations with the the two um i don't know i don't want to call it extremes because i don't think they're extremists but the two extreme opinions of of um billy and, and david i feel like if we were to do multiple more interviews about the workshops to either a pro or anti or just anyone who had you know uh, something to say about them they would probably go just as well. The, the whole idea is in, it's in the zeitgeist. And um, I feel like if I were to be a part of any of those discussions ever in the future, um, I definitely feel more informed, empowered, um, and like I'm ready to make a decision for myself than I ever have before. That makes sense. Yeah, that was going to be my question. Having heard, having spent you know significant time now on both sides of the <laughs> issue with Billy and then with David and Rebecca, I'm curious have have either of those conversations swayed you more to one side or the other of the argument? And secondly, will you be making any changes to how you sort of approach your career in the context of building relationships with casting directors? I think that um, Rebecca said something along the lines of, you know, we need to, we do need to work really hard to A, inform actors and B, make sure that, um, that as much as one can or as much as uh, a body can, like a, a CSA or something, make sure that actors aren't being taken for a ride because, you know, it's one thing to spend your money in an intelligent way, um, marketing yourself or, or whatever. Um, but to have people take advantage of actors, um, <clears throat> you know, I think I even said this during the interview. It's kind of why we started this podcast. N- not the only reason, but we wanted to make sure we could, we wanted to be able to um, inform and empower actors. So I think that that work um, must continue. Um, and it, 
but the, you know, also like what Rebecca said, I think it, it think it needs to continue not just in this area. There are other areas where actors are taken advantage of, and and this can be the only one that we that we focus on. So I think that that work needs to continue, but I don't think that blowing up all of the workshops is the answer. Um, and then as far as myself. I, I don't think I'm going to change um, a whole lot about uh, the, the way in which I've approached um, sort of the marketing side of things. I think if the opportunity presents itself to attend a workshop, um, I, I may think more favorably in, in, uh, on the yes side of things. In other words, on the uh, yeah, I'll go to that side of things. But I'm, I don't think I'm going to seek them out. Um, at least not without, not without any sort of, um, heightened level of research and asking questions and finding out who the people are and finding out if they bring people in and finding out if it's not, you know, um, uh, if it's at a reputable sort of company. Um, but I'm not going to, um, I'm not going to do like a David H. Lawrence, the 17th thing where I go and, and, and spend $40,000, on attending 600 workshops, if that makes sense. Like I'm, it's I'm not gonna go full bore. Um, however, I, I think you know, um, like um, Alan Barton said, with the do the admin you love, right? You have to fill that time with something. And so what, what I think what this series has sort of inspired me to put that energy. If I'm not gonna go to a workshop, I need to put that energy into something. So let's let's call it like an hour or two of my time. It's like how am I going to spend an hour or two of my time cultivating a relationship with someone in the industry? And that's something that um, I, ha- I I did sort of start doing around this uh, these interviews. And it's similar to what I did when I first got to uh, New York. I don't know if you'll remember where I would just, you know, reach out to people via email um, uh, find out, you know, uh, who's in the, you know, the sort of circle of, just outside the circle of influence, you know, the friend of the friend, that's sort of what it has inspired me to, to answer your, your second question. Um, I'm curious, I, I want to ask you, uh, the same question, especially that second one. You know, I, I sort of mentioned, alluded to this over the past couple episodes that I've taken act or, uh, cast and directed workshops in the past and they always left a bad taste in my mouth. Uh, one or two of them were like, just, awful like it was like it just like david said that one time was like thank you who's next just no feedback no value whatsoever for anybody it was clear that the casting director hated being there and like you i don't think i'm going to seek them out um but i do think that they should continue i will say that i mean uh, i i think that um they're here to stay uh, you know like like uh, i think rebecca and david said i don't know if we included this in the actual um episodes we may have edited this part out but i remember both of the, i remember at least david saying at one point that like look if they don't if they get like outlawed or something like that they're still going to continue underground someone's still going to like you know buy a casting director a pizza or a sandwich or something uh, and maybe kick them a few bucks for some gas and they're still going to have them over to like, you know, a church basement somewhere and have a couple of their friends get together and do scenes for this person. Like it's, it's going to continue, I think, no matter what. So, and there are a lot of casting directors out there who, like David said, are overworked and underpaid. And this is a really great way for them to create a win-win situation in finding actors who are actively pursuing their career, actively wanting to meet people, and also letting these casting directors sort of narrow down the or rather more quickly get to know uh, actors who are looking for the work. So we should continue to have the conversation about quality and, um, you know, continue to impose as many sort of um, stop gaps as much as possible to, to ensure that actors aren't getting taken advantage of. I don't know what those look like, but mm-hmm. I think that as long as we're talking about it, we're making forward progress and hopefully eventually doing something. Uh, and then secondly, am I going to change anything? I, I'm not sure yet. Right now, my focus is on creating options for myself in the David H. Lawrence, the 17th vein of things, um, making sure that I've got adequate income so that I'm not a slave to my schedule or my thrival jobs uh, and just creating a lifestyle where if I wanted to, I could go drop 
lots of money on casting director workshops, or I could finance my own film without having to, you know, ask people for money on Kickstarter or something like that. Mm. So like you, if, if, a, if a very unique sort of sniper rifle, uh, opportunity comes up, then yeah, I absolutely will. We'll go and, and do that. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, I'm just glad that we have hopefully armed a, a larger number of actors with some information, um, and some new ways to think about things as they go forward with their hard-earned dollars and build their careers. show announcements we're not quite at the top of the show anymore but just a few quick announcements before we uh, jump into uh, a listener question and the first announcement is that after much talking (laughs) and much delay and much refining and trying to make it perfect i finally just bit the bullet and and recorded the uh, morning ritual mini course that i've been sort of talking about so many of you guys may remember that the morning ritual thing has been huge for my life Um, I've been able to create some awesome things in my life just by taking advantage of my mornings. And uh, I sort of teased at some of the things that I'd learned and put in place in my life a few episodes back. And I finally put like a a 28-minute video course slideshow thing together for our members. So if you're a member of the podcast, hop into the membership and look in the education forum. You'll see a, a thread there called Trev's IAP Morning Ritual Mini Course. And you can check it out. And I'd love to hear your thoughts. If you have questions, be happy to clarify them. But Taking control of my mornings with a structured morning ritual has been a game changer for me, and I'm continuing to refine it. We'll talk more about it in in the coming episodes, but uh, it is now available for your listening and hopefully learning pleasure. And then also, uh, hopefully you guys are subscribed to our newsletter. This is really the primary way, uh, aside from the podcast, that we communicate uh, up-to-the-minute things. And we're going to be kicking off uh, some interesting new things as we move forward with the show. Uh, specifically, like a live Q&A type event. So this will be like a, a day-and-date event with some sort of special guest where people can tune in and ask questions live. And we'll, of course, record it and then have it in the you know available in the membership in the archives. But... Rather than just listening to a pre-recorded interview that we do, we'll have a live thing that many listeners and many people can chime in on. Um, So uh, we've got at least one in the pipeline right now that we're excited about. We're just figuring out the technicalities. So make sure you're subscribed to the newsletter, following us on Twitter, following us on Facebook. Of course, the membership's a great place to to be as well, um, just so you can be up to date on this kind of stuff. So I know we're tight on time now. So let's jump into this question from David. He's asking us about the um, the casting websites like LA Casting, Casting Frontier. Um, he even mentions backstage, which I guess could count as a casting, you know, entity because you can find uh, jobs posted there. Um, and uh, he was first of all wondering if we've ever done an episode about these websites. Um, not sure what we would cover um, in an episode like that. I know I talk about them a lot in the. Um, my digital actor workshop, but he's asking in terms of, uh, you know, rating the, the websites, uh, if there, uh, has ever been some sort of, you know, survey or study done about, you know, who, you know, what, which one doles out the most work, you know, and that kind of thing. So basically just asking about these, uh, uh these casting websites. And then finally he mentions the little box quote unquote, which is, that little box where you can add like a bio sort of of yourself or a quote or a, a, just a little snippet um, to kind of, you know, let people know who you are and what you're all about. And he was wondering if we had any um, advice or suggestions for, for what to put in there. So, yeah, I have a feeling what David is asking is, can we just give a quick rundown of what the main sites are and sort of what they specialize in and are they worth the, the investment in time? Yeah. So yeah. right off the bat, the big ones are LA Casting, Actors Access, Casting Frontier, Now Casting, The People's Network, iActor, and I think those are the big ones. There's like probably three or four more that you can safely ignore, but there's new ones popping up every day. Uh, but those are more or less an order of importance. Maybe you could be, um, you know, you could swap LA Casting and Actors Access. But yeah, Actors Access owned by Breakdown Services. They are sort of like the the main the main player in town. Um, if you have an agent, your agent will 
submit uh, you for TV roles and stuff through a sort of private agent-only portal that they have with Breakdown Services, which looks and feels and acts exactly like Actors Access, but there's there's essentially two sides to it. There's the Actors Access side where you as an actor sign up for $68 a year and you can submit yourself for independent films, student films, whatever sort of pops up on that side that's visible to actors. And then your agent also has an account and you can link your yourselves in that system. But the agent gets to see TV shows, feature films, studio films, things like that. They see the sort of bigger, higher paying stuff. So as an actor, you generally can't see that unless you have like some somebody's password that is signed up as an agent on there. But that's sort of what that is good for. Then you've got LA casting, which is great for commercials. Uh, and student films and and things like that. Uh, lots, probably. I mean, I'd say there's probably four to five times as many breakdowns that go out every day for actors specifically on LA casting versus Actors Access. But again, it's it's a commercial platform. Most you know, first and foremost, as opposed to Actors Access, which is more uh, film. Then you've got the People's Network, which is uh, almost entirely commercials. Casting Frontier, also almost entirely commercials. Uh, we'll have links to all these on the website. And then there is now casting, which I don't really like, to be honest. They, <laughs> I, I um, had a brief communication with them years ago, and they were total assholes <laughs> to me. And I was like, okay, never going to work with you again. Who knows what was going on in that person's life who you know responded to my message. But uh, it doesn't seem like much is going on there. I don't really know any actors who actively use that site, even though it was pretty much like one of the first casting sites available. So that's a super quick breakdown of what the sites are and and sort of what they do. Uh, If you're going to do any of those, definitely LA Casting and Actors Access if you're in Los Angeles. Those are the two big ones. Again, Actors Access, 68 bucks a year. LA Casting is 5 or 10 bucks a month, depending on what level you subscribe at and, and uh, whether or not you're represented. Um, and then as to the second part of his question, what do you put in that little audition notes box when you submit for a role and it says, like, add any additional notes here? Um, I mean, I personally, I don't usually put anything in there unless the job calls for some sort of specific skill set, like must know judo, you know, or must be able to swim. For instance, I submit for a lot of swimming roles, you know, must be able to swim uh, or must, you know, must be available to to pay own travel to, you know, Santa Barbara to shoot on such and such a weekend. And if it's something specific like that, I'll usually jump in there and type a note that just says like something to the effect of like, I understand the requirements. I can travel. Uh, I, I am proficient at swimming all four strokes competitively. You know, like whatever it is, just to say, or like I'm, I am comfortable using, uh, you know, stage weapons, or you know, I have experience with stage combat, or I'm, you know, level two groundlings improv, whatever it is that just sort of lets them know that like you are a special, you've got that special quality they're looking for. So that's what I would. That's what I would have to sort of respond to uh, on David about that. Uh, what would you add, AJ? The only thing – that was great, Trev. Uh, the only thing I would add on the second question is um, I've seen um, people like uh, Ben Whitehair um, add a little pitch, you know, talk about things that he's done recently. Um, <clears throat> so, like, you know, his, his feature film that's coming out, other TV shows, you know, et cetera, that sort of are in the same vein as this project. Yeah, that's great. That's a really good idea just to sort of play up that like, hey, I'm, I'm working, you know, work begets work. Right. There's another one that Ben submits to a lot. It's a smaller network primarily for like indie films. And I forget the name of it, but it's run by a friend of his and apparently is pretty awesome. Um, we'll find it and make sure it's we stick it in the uh, show notes for this. Cool. All right. Well, anything else to to squeeze in real fast before we jump into part one with Bob? No, let's do this. Here is part one of AJ's chat with Bob Clendenin. Enjoy this, and we'll see you on the other side.
everyone. So uh, this is AJ, and I am sitting here with someone we're very excited to have on the podcast. You may know him as that guy. Uh, there's this there's this whole uh, documentary on it, isn't yeah. there? Um, yeah, there's, yeah, were you there's, in that documentary? I was not. I didn't make. I didn't make the cut. Unbelievable! Sure was, That's very, ridiculous. I'm sure it's uh, a very long list, though. Right. Uh, but anyway, one of uh, one of the working guest, if that if I can use that word, working guest uh, character actors in the business. Robert Clendenin. And you go by Robert Clendenin professionally uh, or Bob? Professionally, I'm Robert, but uh, to, I'm, I'm really a Bob. I oh. think at heart, I'm a Bob. <laughs> at heart, I'm a Bob. <laughs> uh, on, on paper, you're a Robert. Uh, exactly. Okay. Well, well, our listeners will feel uh, like they're on the inside. We'll, we'll right. call you so Bob. We'll with Bob. And then, uh, and then uh, when they when they want to find you online, they'll, there we go. they'll know there we to go. search for Robert. See, perfect. So um, I'm curious. I know you went to uh, Carnegie Mellon and no, uh, Cornell. Or sorry, Cornell. Yeah, yeah. It, was a, it was a C word. Yep. Uh, you went to Cornell, but it was not for acting, right? I was an engineer. I was a terrible engineer. <laughs> that they will still deny, you know, that I, I was a product of their engineering college. But yeah, I made it through, and then I uh, I started acting when I was there, just sort of as a kind of a relief because Cornell is a little intense to begin with, and the engineering school is really intense and um, high high suicide rate apparently. Oh my god! Uh, I don't know if that's still true. It certainly was in the eighties and the nineties though. Jeez. Um, well, the, the, the thing is, <laughs> I'm not doing a big <laughs> advertisement for Cornell. But, um, <laughs> Go to it's Cornell. Super. Okay. It's super cold in the winter because it's upstate New York. Yeah. It's really hilly. Um, the school's very very intense, and then it's situated between these gorgeous um, uh, gorges, you know, uh, chasms. And so if you are prone to depression and it all gets to you, it's a really poetic way to for a college student to... Wow. Pull the crazy. trigger. Yeah, it's crazy. So it's, a, it's like a perfect storm of... Which is one of the reasons <laughs> it had such a, a horribly high... Suicide rate. It's uh, like those. It's like those bridges in the factories in China that you. Hear right. About. You know they actually do have nets now underneath know, the bridges. Well, at Cornell they've got under the under the pedestrian bridges they've got the same safety nets that I think they use at the uh, Apple factory. Oh my god, that is so crazy. <laughs> the awful. only uh, up until this point, the only thing you knew about Cornell is that it was a good university to go if you want if you were interested in studying the culinary arts. Like yes, the, the hotel school is, the, I think, the best in the country. Right. <laughs> right, right. Right. And yeah. and I, I I only know that because I went to UCLA and at UCLA they 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 claim I don't know if this is true but they claim to have the second best food in the university system in, in the country yes. second only to, to Cornell. Cornell is that right so, yeah and I'm sure that like 90% of the best restaurants and resorts are Cornell UCLA populated right so you can eat well and kill yourself you can eat well and kill yourself <laughs> and the student the, the student food is really good you know it's like because all the hotelies you know man the cafeterias and stuff like that oh my gosh so anyway so uh so I was an engineer and I uh was getting a little um you know just tired of just the intensity of it so I I auditioned for a play that was advertised and I kind of fell into this group that way and then I was really just struck by how cool actors and that whole life I mean it's just the antithesis of the engineering kind of world that I was immersed in and uh and I just fell in love with it and so I finished out the program but then I went to grad school for acting and kind of Segwayed, followed that path, and never worked as an engineer. Oh my god! And you went to uh, Penn, uh, Penn, State, Penn State for right. grad school. Yeah, they had a, a three-year grad, MFA grad program. It was really good. It was perfect for me. It was you know great place here in the middle of like Happy Valley, and it's you know safe and cozy. The opposite so. of suicidal. Exactly. Right. Right. <laughs> Just very football. 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 Uh, so from suicide to concussions. Right. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so you got bit by the bug. It's so obvious. Like it just there was this turn. I mean, did you at any point in your childhood did you like you know perform for friends and family? I, I or did. did you I, have had that a, sort of- uh, I had a I had a remarkable hat collection as a young ch- as a as a like th- from about the age of four or five on. I really liked collecting hats, and my mother tells me that I would do characters based on the hat. You know, we moved a lot. I had a moving man character who was just moved cushions from one room to the other and didn't say very much. (laughs) I had a cook, I think. You know, so I don't know. Yeah, I definitely, there were probably, now that she sees it in retrospect, my mother, she says, oh, that was a clue. I didn't, I didn't, wasn't paying attention at the time, but that was definitely a clue. Wow. It, so you, it was almost like uh, early mask work. It's very you. early mask work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's four-year-old mask work. Four-year-old yeah, four, mask work. Four-year-old Lotsies. So 
<laughs> so if you want your child to become an actor, open a haberdashery. <laughs> and you can. Well, I mean, that's a good thing. You start with a prop bin and a hat collection. and, and That's you all can, you need. You can do it all from the outside in. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, like the British, right? Very non-method. <laughs> right, right. Oh, man. That's so cool. Yeah. I, I, I... One of the it's funny. This is this is a terrible segue, but it's happening in my brain. So hopefully others can follow. One of the things that I've been dying to ask you is because you didn't necessarily start out acting, going like studying acting. You started out as an engineer and then got bitten by the bug, so to speak, and then transitioned into studying acting for right. your MFA. Right. I was wondering if there was a moment or if there was a series of events that occurred. That had you realize, oh, this is my brand. Did you already know that from just, you know, knowing what your sensibilities were? Or was it like the first time you got cast on television was an odd character? And oh, I see what you mean. Like in like, terms of like how I've ended up working. Yeah, like which came I first, know? the chicken or the egg? Like did you know and you marketed yourself that way? Or did you start getting cast that way and you went, no, I better was, capitalize on this? It was the latter. It was the latter. In fact, I mean I think as you probably would attest – in theater school, the opposite happens. You know, you, you go for this neutrality, you know, whether it's in f- physically or vocally, you, they want to sort of wipe away any semblance of tics or quirkiness, et cetera. And so you're like a, the tabla rasa when you go on stage and then you can start adding character elements, et cetera. And so you leave theater school kind of being this very neutral thing. And then you come out to LA and you realize, oh, what makes me sellable is the fa- is my, my quirk and my my tick and my thing you know the thing that makes that sets me apart from everybody else and so i need to sort of hone in and kind of really embrace that and market it and i found, i got out here and after a year or two I, I started being you know cast as really sort of not terribly sharp blue collar type scruff etc you know like that was the first kind of pigeonhole that i found myself in which couldn't be further from who i am Personally, you know, I grew up in a pretty affluent kind of family, you know, well-educated, et cetera. So, like, that's where I was just falling. I was falling into a lot of these, like, kind of really weird security guards and, you know, factory workers commercially and stuff like that. And so I was able to kind of go, oh, well, that's, that's how, let's perpetuate this a little bit and see if we can expand on that and find other little pockets that I can start to develop, whatever, to just sort of broaden my, you know, my, my horizon. Um, but yeah, it was definitely the latter of those two choices. And so what, I guess my next question has to be, what did you do to capitalize on that? As you, as you noticed that those were the roles that were coming and you're like, oh, I'm like, I'm getting cast as the blue collar. I'm getting cast as the the dumb one. I'm getting cast as the this, the, that. Yeah. I think also, you know, I was doing this when, um, so we're talking like mid nineties or early, early nineties. Right. So it's about 20 years, 20 plus years ago. Um, Everything, and I guess maybe it's still true to a certain extent, but everything was the headshot. And so I think I was fortunate enough to know exactly how I wanted to market myself and have headshots that really perfectly reflected that. I remember in retrospect really killer shots that really separated themselves from the pile and said exactly who I was. You know, I did a lot of deadpan stuff and I had this, and it, and it was a, and it was a headshot that kind of broke the rules to you. Like I had my hand in it. You're not supposed to have your hands and I was resting my chin on my hand. And, and I don't say, it sounds kind of cocky, but like it was the one that you'd go, if you're flipping through real fast, it just stood out. It's still black and white because those were the days. Yeah. But, but I think you really still have super, that up I still have it. It's not like an yeah. IMDb. Yeah, it's like super target specific. And, and it just, I think helped me really ease into a lot of those early kind of co-stars and stuff like that. Um, yeah. And I, th- and, and I had a you know manager at the time who also was really on board with, he and I were very, very in ag- much in agreement over how we wanted to approach this or sort of the early stages of my career and, you know, get me going. Yeah. So that bringing up representation makes me want to back up a little bit. When yeah. did you come out to Los Angeles from – did you come I, immediately after grad school? No, or? I did a little stint. I had a horrible little stint um, earning my equity card in a touring production of The Nose. Um, it was a children's show and I was The Nose and we went to middle schools all over Pennsylvania and I would be um, sort of, I guess, assaulted by <laughs> – 
You'd wait, um, at least antagonized by seventh and eighth graders. I had a, I'm not joking. I had a foam nose that covered my body, and my head stuck out the front of it. My arms on the sides, and they would fire things at me because I couldn't feel it. It's like I'm covered in foam latex. So I would, we'd finish the show, and I'd see all these rubber bands and paper clips and things that had been fired at me and bounced off me during the course of the show. That you had no idea. Um, I had no idea because it was just rebounding off me. And then we'd go and load it out and travel to the next oh middle school. Load it back. I did that for like three months. It really it was actually, you know, in retrospect, it was a really good thing because I, I came out of grad school a little bit cocky. And it was nice to get pegged down a little bit. and just Literally. A little, yeah, seriously. And just a little smack in the face going... This is not going to be the easy road that you thought it was, mm. you know. So it was good. So I did that. And I got my equity card, did a Shakespeare festival, made the drive out here because I had a buddy that I was an undergrad with who was out here and had a place I could crash and and kind of I didn't I knew I didn't really want to go to New York. And it was really those were the two options if I wasn't going to be a regional theater person. And yeah. so I picked L.A. in it. You know, it took it took a while to kind of get the train moving. Um, how long would you say? How long were you two, here before? I think two years probably <laughs> of feeling pretty frustrated, um, sending out a lot of headshots, um, cover letters, doing some good 99-seat theater and some really awful stuff. It was probably a good two years before I think I got my first – Before I, got, I remember I got Taft hardly after about two years. Okay. And then it was pretty quickly after that that, you know, that turned into another co-star and another co-star. And, it st- and then I think maybe a year after that when I felt like, oh, I, I could – this might happen and I can – I'm pretty close to leaving my, my day job if I'm, you know – What it were you doing? Uh, I had two jobs. I was teaching for the – Princeton Review, which is a SAT prep yeah. company. Yeah, I, have a, I actually have an actor friend who who did that too until it's his a, career it's, took yeah, off. Yeah, it's a great actor gig because everybody else is either a writer or an actor. Um, it's a fairly flexible teaching schedule. It pays pretty well, but in small junk. So you teach for three or four hours, whatever, and get make pretty decent money. Um, and and you can always find people to cover for you. So it was a good it was a good actor gig. And then I also worked for. A muffin factory company named Mrs. Beasley's. Uh, they made muffin baskets. Doing what exactly? I was. I worked their call center. They had a huge, you know, uh, phone bank for basket orders. Uh, oh my goodness! Yeah, it was a little crazy. Muffin baskets. Yeah. Tell me if I get if we're getting too sidetracked here. But we were in North Hollywood at the customer service center, and and at Christmas, you know, we t- there's ten times as many temp employees because that's. It, Everybody's sending all the studios were doing gift baskets during Christmas, right? And so we wanted to use the parking of the this big industrial building across the street in this really seedy part of North Hollywood. It turns out it's a um, a very high end S and M parlor. Okay. So we make this arrangement. I'm calling. We're calling back and forth, and I've realized what they are. And but they're totally cool with it because their business is a little bit more night oriented, evening oriented, and they had all this parking available for our temps during the day. So I said, "Do you want me to?" I'll come over there and I'd love to, you know, show our thanks and bring you a little basket. So I take over the big, nice muffin basket for them. It's seriously one of those doors. You ta ta ta, and then the little slide opens and, and <laughs> just very, eyeballs. Seriously, but a very open the door. Beautiful, lovely, well dressed, very a professional looking woman. Big waiting area. Um, I gave her the basket and she said, uh, "Would you like a little tour around?" And, and took me on a tour of the facilities. I had never this. You know, I'm in my twenties. This is. It's unbelievable. There's a, there's the stuff, the stereotypical stuff you would expect, like a dungeon, et cetera. But then there's also this giant nursery where with oversized furniture, uh, an oh oversized gosh. crib. You know, there's business office. There's, I mean, there's every single sort of fantasy that you can imagine had a separate room, and it was all immaculate and clean and beautifully run. Wow. And, but was there a giant there. foam nose? Is, my, is what I'm. <laughs> I really, I'm stuck on that. That's one. top dollar. That's seriously. That's, <laughs> that's like, in the backpack yeah, room. <laughs> that's the champagne room. <laughs> that's the champagne room. <laughs> so we're in this um, two years in two years of frustration. You start booking these co-stars, and, yep. and and there's about a year of like the momentum sort of on the upswing. Yeah. Um, before you let go of these um, really these interesting, really what, we, what we call thrival jobs on thrival, the, on the yes. podcast. Good on. Um, 
uh, where in there do you end up with this manager who's who's on board with the whole uh, you know oddball character actor thing? Yeah, after I right when it started to, or after I started to feel like ascending um, and getting close to quitting day jobs, maybe year four is when I hook up with this guy. And he, I knew him from my undergrad days. He had been my acting teacher and a very a terrific actor himself. In fact, I name him Mitchell Gossett. I think he's head of the theatrical division at CESD now. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, had Miley Cyrus, discovered Miley Cyrus. I mean, he's really, he's one of the top youth agents. But at this time, he was a manager. He had his own management company. He was running out of his garage. He was start, you know, pretty, pretty green at it. But he knew the business. He knew actors really, really well. He knew me and he knew uh, me well enough to know that I, that I was probably marketable. Uh, he wasn't willing to take me on when I... Had nothing to show, but once I got myself into SAG, had a couple credits that he was able to kind of plug and get a little bit of tape together, um, he took me on. And I think I credit that relationship as being one of the sort of as instrumental in kind of making it to the next couple of tiers. Yeah. Um, just because, you know, that's such a vital, I think, relationship for young actors to feel that they've got a manager who's not only plugging them, but who also really understands them yeah. and knows and that you're in agreement with. You know, you hear from a lot of actors where they feel that their agent or their manager doesn't get them or they're just doing kind of shotgun um, methodology, just just blasting, blasting the, yeah. stuff to everybody, and it's not specific, and it's not show specific or CD specific or whatever. And um, so, I really I, I credit Mitchell with a with a lot. And that's one of the things that is obviously so great about your career, and one of the things we were so excited about in in speaking with you is how you know specific you have been, and it is just like you know. I mean, yeah, you just mentioned, you know, uh, your first gigs being in like the early to mid 90s. Uh, For those of you who haven't done this yet, go on to IMDb or go on to robertclendon.com. Uh, I looked at your your resume and it's it's yeah. crazy. I mean that's that's got to be a partial list and it's it's you know almost the entire page of like these yeah. really great guest stars, recurring guest stars, you know, top of show guest stars type, you know, roles. I've been lucky, thanks. I also think it's important for actors to kind of know their their place in the food chain. Like People, you know, after we've just been through another pilot season, right? And I, yeah. and and everybody's always going, "Well, how's your pilot season? How's your pilot?" Season? And I, I go out and I te- and I've I've tested and I've done that routine, but that's not that's sort of very very a very small component of what's sort of been my um, uh, the way my career has gone, and I think the way my yeah. career will go in the future. I'm not the first choice when a show is cast in terms of stat of of ca- of those those six or seven people who are going to populate a, sh- a show from its inception probably don't include me. Hmm. What I am is I'm the guy who comes in as sort of the quirky neighbor or the odd guy downstairs or the doorman three, four, ten episodes in and starts to fill it out a little bit. And I didn't really get that ten years ago. And I would get frustrated and I'd be like, why everybody else is <laughs> testing three times a week and I don't and I don't get nothing. Like I don't think that's my place. It doesn't this is not a judgment about me as an actor. It's just where do I fit in this kind of puzzle that everybody's putting together. Yeah. And once I sort of got um, a good handle on that and respect that that's sort of the way it is uh, there's a real ease that and a peace of mind that comes with it you know yeah and that's and when I look at back at my career the way it's kind of evolved so many of those shows where I ended up doing you know 10 or 15 or like in career time 65 episodes it started as a one episode guest star and it turned out to be I was a good fit with the cast the writers enjoyed writing for me and as you know, television is constantly evolving, and when they find somebody that they kind of dig or that adds a nice little spice to whatever, the next episode or the two episodes later, suddenly we'll, we'll put that guy back in. Let's bring what's him. And that's the way I have personally kind of found my career track going. Yeah, that's that's really fascinating. I don't know that I've ever thought of it that way in that, 
we've talked about on the podcast before, and obviously it's going to be a big subject of, on your episodes, the idea of branding, being specific with your brand, finding uh, you know what buyers out there are looking for, people who you know look like you, have your sensibilities, have your energy. But there's also you know what you're saying now is there's this sort of business side of it or this business aspect to it or maybe not even business but storytelling aspect when you look at the arc the super arc of a season of a show yeah. or a series or whatever and it's like where do where am I and uh, where am I and my sensibilities and my energy and what I bring to the table going to land in that arc I think that's exactly right. I made a um, cooking analogy with someone once where when you do that first dish you've got you've, you've got chicken spinach you know you've got your main things that the six main things that are going to make up this dish i'm cumin or i'm i'm paprika you know it's like you don't you, nobody wants a paprika dish but it adds a nice little thing yeah. at the end you go oh that that sets it apart there's a little something we can do with that we don't build the whole dish around it but <laughs> we throw a little in here and there. Oh, yeah, missing and it, is missing is some cumin. Yeah, we need a little bit more cumin, and then and that really helps the chicken. People appreciate the chicken better if the cumin's there, right? Yeah, that's the that's my analogy. And I don't, and I got great. no problem with it, you know. Yeah. And like, I still find the time, you know, like if I can do a, a, a various plays or whatever, or, or student films, uh, you know, some smaller web project stuff where I'm maybe I am the chicken. But I don't think, like, at a network level, um, it, I would be very surprised if I'm ever the chicken. <laughs> at, at a network? That's quote of the century. We need to, we need to like, <laughs> we need to get that. I want to put that, like, as the quote underneath this it's episode. A, it's a great t-shirt. Uh, anybody yeah. can, anybody at the network can. level, I'm, I don't know if I'm ever, ever going to be chicken. <laughs> Alright, so uh, once again, I am in the slightly awkward position of everybody but me having heard this interview uh, as of the time <laughs> of this recording. So uh, just like last week, uh, I have nothing to debrief, although I'm sure it is just as good as Rebecca's. I, I'm really excited. You, you, do, you give good interview, AJ. Oh, thanks. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> any any highlights or debriefs that you wanted to um, mention before we move on? Um, I just, you know what I appreciated about this one was how, um, at ease Bob seemed to be like, we, we just had a really good time. It was a lot of fun and, uh, he's hilarious and, um, and just a really nice guy. And, um, I got a chance actually, he, uh, he, he and his wife were going to see the show at the Kirk Douglas the next night. Oh, cool. And, uh, you guys Jasmine, recorded this at the Kirk Douglas. Right. And yeah. Jasmine and I. Uh, were there on that same night, so I got to, I got to meet his wife and and introduce him to Jasmine. And just couldn't be uh, a nicer guy. Like uh, I'm, you know, we always you say it all the time on the podcast, Trev. Like it's just so nice when when good people are are like out there um, working and 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 having a good career. <laughs> yeah, you know, contrary to popular belief, most people are really good, generous people that want to help others and see the world become a better place. You know, it's, <laughs> the news conditions us uh, to think that it's a big, scary world out there and we're all going to get shot the moment we leave our apartment. But my experience is quite the opposite. More on this when we get to our listener pick. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, indeed. So uh, speaking of listener picks, what is your... I'm looking at this. This looks cool. Tell us about the story of God with Morgan Freeman. It's really good. It's a, So it's a TV oh, it's a, yeah. it's a series. I know about this. Yeah, it's a series that, that Morgan Freeman, um, I guess, produced, but he, he hosts and narrates um, that was originally on National Geographic, but now you can get it on their website. You can also get it on Hulu. So both of those links are in the show notes, um, folks, if you want to check this out. But I would highly, highly recommend it because he basically, you know, it, it, the whole series is about exploring uh, human beings' relationships with God or deity uh, or deities, plural, um, and uh 
he he looks at it from different angles in every single episode. So, like, um, you know, he talks about – in one episode, he talks about the afterlife. In another episode, he talks about the apocalypse. In another episode, he talks about good versus evil and interviews, like, a serial killer in a maximum security prison. Like, he – and, and it's Morgan Freeman. So, like, there are moments where, like, you can't – he'll do something or say something or, like, laugh and you're like, man – only Morgan Freeman is that effing cool. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like he's the only guy that's, that's that cool. No one else is that cool. Yeah. No one else could do that. Yeah. So, anyway, um, highly recommended. Very entertaining. Very interesting. He even, you know, in one episode, you know, talks about um, uh, the rise of ISIS and like, hmm. uh, you know, what that, what that, what their beliefs are. I mean, it's oh gosh, it's so good. It's really, really interesting and fascinating. Um, Jasmine and I have been, been watching it like crazy. So I was like, well, this has to be my pick of the week. Sweet. Yeah. I started watching the path, which was your pick of the week a few weeks ago on Hulu. And now we've got the story of God on Hulu. So Hulu is a great investment. It sounds like if you are, if you've got, (laughs) what is it like nine bucks a month to spend? You're welcome, Trevor. (laughs) Awesome. I'm excited. And this fits in nicely with my pick of the week, which is a documentary called Terra, T-E-R-R-A, Terra as in like the word for earth or land, uh, hands down the most powerful documentary I have ever seen. Whoa. Yeah. So I've talked a lot on this show. I've dropped Daniel Quinn's name quite a bit as a writer and a thinker who has really influenced the way I see the world. I would say basically I could divide my life into two separate chunks and that's everything before I read the book Ishmael and everything after and Ishmael is Daniel Quinn's kind of flagship book. Highly recommend uh, anybody who's curious about just sort of like opening up their the sort of question about how mankind fits into the larger web of life on the planet uh, throughout history to check out that book. But this documentary is kind of like about 80% of Daniel Quinn's ideology sort of distilled down into an hour and a half uh, combined with like maybe a little bit of like food ink and a little bit of avatar and a little bit of, um, oh, I don't know. There's something else I'm thinking of that I, I can't put into words right now, but maybe even a little bit of the story of God with Morgan Freeman. It's in French. It's narrated in French by Vanessa Paradis. And it really takes you through how life on this planet started And just how far human beings have come since the agricultural revolution about 10,000 years ago to where we are now and some of the most amazing technological feats and advancements, but also how far we've separated, how much we've separated ourselves from the natural world. And it goes into sort of a few different uh, illustrations of just how wide that disconnect or that gap has become. And it's fascinating and heartbreaking sad and exciting and a million things. I don't know if this documentary was so powerful for me because I have the sort of context of, you know, Daniel Quinn's books and Tom Hartman's books and John Robbins books and stuff like that, or if it really is as powerful as I think it is. But I I think every human should watch this documentary. It's on Netflix. Again, it's called Terra, T-E-R-R-A. And the link on our website in the show notes takes you to the filmmaker's website, which is the only website I could find for the film where you can read more about it and, uh, and watch a trailer. If, if it doesn't inspire you to, to change something about the way you relate to the natural world, I don't know what, what would. So that is that. And then we have a great uh, listener pick from Fern Lim, who, by the by, designed our new show logo, uh, which you can see all over the place, Twitter, Facebook, our website, in the membership, on the podcast artwork, and our newsletter. Thank you, Fern check out her work at thecontagiousfern.com. But she writes in with a pic uh, from a guy named Brandon Harvey. He sends out a weekly news roundup of five pieces every week, five pieces of good news. And she linked us to one of his recent newsletters, and it's awesome. It's all, I mean, we've both subscribed, AJ. We were talking before we started recording. We both subscribed, and his whole goal is to just uh, to tell good stories of good in the world. So it's a little bit like Jack Canfield's Chicken Soup for the Soul, but updated uh, and more current and more intermitted. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's a great shot of positivity. Um, 
and you're right like we said the news kind of conditions us to, to think that it's a dangerous world out there full of rapists and murderers but actually people are good most of the time people i think i think most people are just scared <laughs> because they watch a lot of the news <clears throat> yeah but when you actually go out and connect with another human being you find that once you break through that sort of fear uh that, that we all want the same things we all want you know peaceful you know happy healthy families and communities yeah what the thing i love most about this newsletter is that it is um as you said trevor all current so it's like taking these news stories and turning them on their heads so like uh the last one that he sent out for instance was talking about how um uh i think isis he was talking about isis specifically is like actually losing ground um, you know, despite what you know, some news uh, outlets might have you believe, they're actually their numbers are diminishing and they're losing ground. Um, and that was one of the five stories, and they're sort of all like that. They're sort of ripped from the headlines, but then you know, turned around mm, <laughs> and, and, and yeah. put a, a positive, uh, put into a positive light. So I, I love that. You know, I read uh, a book years ago called *The Assault on Reason* by Al Gore. Have you read it or heard uh, of it? No, but I have, I've, I, I remember uh, when that came out, yeah. Yeah, it was like basically when everyone was like, oh, he's going to run for president. This is like, you know, 8, 10, 12 years ago. Um, and then he didn't end up running for president. And, but I thought this book was sort of his like pre-presidential bid. And uh, it was a powerful book. It's about politics. And you can tell in the book he's kind of falling out of love with politics. He, he refers to himself now as a recovering politician. Mm-hmm. And he says that you're never fully recovered. But in this book, he talks about how uh, the current, the then administration uh, would use uh, fear to control people. If if the people are afraid and you tell them that you're going to protect them, you can do anything you want. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think it's a coincidence that the news kind of harps on all this bad stuff. I think we're a little bit fat. Our brains are wired to be fascinated by that kind of thing because uh, it's so uncom- it's just so out of place in our evolutionary history to see murders and theft and rape and things like that like we didn't 100 or 200,000 years of evolution we didn't see much of that until really until the advent of civilization um, so fascinating stuff uh, this this is cool because all these picks that we fit together quite nicely mm, so that yeah. is uh, that is Terra the documentary on Netflix the Story of God with Morgan Freeman, the series on Hulu, and then Brendan Harvey's Brandon Harvey's newsletter, and all of those links are on our website. So check them out. Today's episode of Inside Acting was produced and co-hosted by yours truly, A.J. Meyer, and of course, Trevor Algett. Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Gadali Gubrek is our marketing and web director. Deborah Smith is our community manager. Timothy Patrick Waterman is Director of Public Relations. Trevor Algett edited and mixed today's episode and composed our theme and interview music. And Fern Lim designed our logo. You can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our episodes over at our website, InsideActing.net. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, SoundCloud, iTunes. And go ahead and leave us a review if you'd like on any of those Um, channels but iTunes especially it's like putting a little tip in our tip jar and helps other people find the show too special thanks to our sponsors Rehearsal Pro and VO2Gogo.com and thanks to you our listeners if you love inside acting and want to maximize its value in your life and career and support the continued production of the podcast you can sign up as a member and get cool perks like access to our membership message board where Trevor's uh, morning ritual uh, mini course is available uh, cool freebies invites to exclusive member meetups and much much more just visit insideacting.net and click on the membership tab and that is it for episode 237 of inside acting thank you so much for listening we'll see you next week and in the meantime trust and love